0: Hello and welcome to the Teaching Ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. We'll be to Acts chapter 3 if you would. Acts chapter 3. Does anybody know what we've been talking about? Nobody does what we've been talking about. Glory to God. Does anybody know what we've been talking about? The coming restoration, amen. Glory to God. So that's why we have a slide up there, Pastor Greg, so people will remember. Is that why we do it? Yeah, we're missing the slide, so you don't know what we've been teaching on. Glory to God. Have you found Acts chapter three? Praise the Lord. Verse 19 says, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Notice that this Bible tells us that there are two things that are associated with the return of the Lord. Or there are two things, you can say it this way, there are two things that are scheduled and ordained of God to take place just prior to the coming of the Lord. One is times of of refreshing. We found out that another way you you can translate that is seasons of revival. And so until the, up until the coming of the Lord, the Bible says that we can expect seasons or times of revival, times of refreshing, and then secondly, times of restoration. Yeah. He's saying before the Lord returns, there must be times of restoration of some things. Is that what it says? No, of all things, notice a restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Now, we pointed out that if you go back to the 18th verse, you have a a similar phraseology there. And it says, but those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his holy prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. So you put this this, uh, the 21st verse in context with the, or the 20th verse, which one was it? 21st verse? Yeah, you put that in context with verse 18 and all of the things that have been spoken by the mouths of all of his holy prophets since since the world began have to do with Christ. The things pertaining to Christ. And so in that uh, in that uh with that thought, he says heaven must receive Christ until the times of restoration of all these things. Hallelujah. What does it mean, restoration? What what does that word mean? Well, a restoration is defined as a putting or bringing back to a former, former, normal or unimpaired state of condition. I wanna read that again. A restoration is a putting or bringing back to a former, normal or unimpaired state or condition. So this is telling us that before Jesus returns, the church will be brought back to a former, Normal and unimpaired condition. Hallelujah. Well, that's good news. Glory to God. How many of you would agree that the church as we, uh, as exist today is not fully restored? That there are some things that are not normal in the church. There are some things that aren't uh, like they once were. The former things, all of the former things that we see in the Bible, do, we do not see playing out in, in, in most of the church world today. Isn't that right? And because of that, the church has been impaired. The church is in an impaired condition. But this says before the return of the Lord, there will be a restoration, a putting back into the former normal and unimpaired state of condition. Praise God. Oh, Hallelujah. Well, this is what we can expect, but we also found out that just because God decrees things and promises things, when it has to do with man, man always has responsibility. I said man always has responsibility, and it couldn't be more so than when the church is involved. Things pertaining to the church, we have a lot of responsibility. God doesn't do anything in, in the church unless people in the church yield to him. He moves upon us, gives us direction, impresses upon us, and and persuades us in our heart. But people have to respond if there's going to be any restoration. People have to respond if there's going to be any blessing. People, believers have to respond. If the church is going to do what the Spirit of God is leading us to do, we have to respond in these last days. Amen. Amen. So we talked about the fact that uh, this is not an uh, an all-inclusive list, but three primary, fundamental things that must be restored in these last days. And so we talked about there will be a restoration of the power of Christ, a restoration of the authority of Christ, and a restoration of the character of Christ. Well, we've talked about a restoration of the character of Christ. We started with that one first because I think that's of utmost importance. And we've and we've preached on that a couple of, of services and we you could you know, you could just go on and on and on about that. Amen. But but we've laid the foundation and whetted your appetite, so, so to speak. And so we trust that that in this congregation and it's growing around the world, around our nation, around the world, that people are realizing that now is the time. It's always been the time, but especially now before the return of the Lord, it's time for, for Christians to rise up, put away things that hinder, put away things that slow them down, sins and weights or anything that would hinder us from being all that God wants us to be and let us run our race with patience, glory to God, Looking unto Jesus because he's coming back, praise Amen. God. Amen. And so we've talked about that and, and it, would be, it would behoove you to go back if you haven't been in the previous services and listen to it. Uh, these former messages are on our webpage and you can listen to it there or you can download it to your computer and, and listen in various ways. And so there's a restoration of the, of the character of Christ. Today I want to talk to you about a restoration of the power of Christ. Before the Lord Jesus returns, there must be a restoration of the power of Christ. Now, when we talk about a restoration, it isn't so much God restoring anything because God never took anything away. God has never withdrawn character from the church, has he? He's never withdrawn power from the church. He's never withdrawn authority from the church. But the church has backed off of these things. A lot of people have backed off of character and we see that in our day. We see a lot of compromise in the church world today. A lot of people who want to look like the world, act like the world, they think like the world, they want to engage the philosophies of this age and, and, and their character suffers. Well, the, in a restoration of the character of Christ, it's the spirit of God dealing with us to submit ourselves once again to his character. Well when the power of Christ, where the power of Christ is concerned, it isn't that God has withdrawn his power, but people have because people have yielded to traditions of men, they've they've left the power of God. Much of the church doesn't believe in the power of God. They've said, well it was for way back then and it'll be and it'll be for out yonder in the future, but right now we just have to get along the best we can. but the, the Lord Jesus Christ in his ministry, in his resurrection, in his seating and in his dispersion of the church. He moved and operated in power. And that, and that principle and that grace and that anointing and that power has never been withdrawn. It is God's plan for the church to be full of power. Glory to God. So the restoration of power is basically a restoration of us to the power of God. But how many of you know that whenever you don't give place to God, then his power won't function? One thing that was brought out this week in, in the meeting that I was in, it, it, Brother uh, Randall Grid said, you know, you have to create. You have to create a, an opportunity for the Spirit of God to move. You have to create a climate. You have to design a place for him to move in. But he will not occupy that which he doesn't design. People have attempted in the natural to create certain environments. They've attempted to create certain moods in the church, create certain feelings in the church, but it's not of God, God won't indwell that. I said he won't, he won't indwell that. He only occupies that which he has designed. Amen. He has designed the power of God. He has designed the the glory of the Lord. He's designed the gifts of of the Spirit and the ministries of of the Lord Jesus Christ, and His power resides in these things. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So, a restoration of the power of Christ will be a restoration of His glory, His power his gifts, and his ministries. These are the things that we can expect to see a restoration of in these last days. I want to talk to you a few minutes this morning about a restoration of the glory of Christ. uh, Turn with me over. You're here in Acts chapter 3. Turn over to chapter 7. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen, one of the first deacons in the church, began to preach. The Spirit of God came upon him. And he began to preach to the people who were present there in Jerusalem. His his audience was primarily, if not entirely, Jews. The same ones who had cried out, crucify him, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Stephen began to preach. And uh, he, he, it's, it's a tremendous message. It's one of the the few times in the Bible where we see an entire sermon uh, printed out in in its fullness. It's a tremendous message. But he basically laid the the foundation and laid the the framework for the backsliding of Israel and how Jesus came to to, to redeem and how the people of Israel rejected him and then how God, and they crucified him and how God raised him from the dead. Now, it says in... Verse 54, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. They gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Notice that he looked into heaven and saw the glory of God. Notice the glory of God is something that you can see. He saw it. Now, if you go back to the the second verse, first and second verse of this same chapter, when Stephen began his message, he said in verse 2, Brethren and fathers, listen. Listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. Notice he said the God of glory. Well, the Israelites or the Jews at the time, they fully understood what he meant by the God of glory. The the term, the God of glory, was a term they were familiar with and they were familiar with the records in the Old Testament that spoke often about the glory of God. It was something that was visible. It was something that could be seen. It manifested itself. Let's look at a few of these verses. We won't look at all of them, obviously, but let's just look at a few of them. Go with me over to Exodus and let's look at chapter 16. Exodus 16. Verse number seven and verse number 10. Verse number seven says, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. For he hears your complaints against the Lord, but what are, but what are we that you should complain against us? Of course, Moses is talking about himself and Aaron. If go down to the 10th verse, it says, Now it came to pass, as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the, of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. They saw the glory of the Lord. Turn over to Exodus chapter 40. Exodus chapter 40. Hallelujah. Exodus chapter 40, let's look at verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting." And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the, tabern- the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Notice the glory of the Lord also resembled a cloud. It said there was a cloud above the tabernacle. And, and, it, was the, and it was associated with the glory of the Lord. Turn over to, Le- to Leviticus, the ninth chapter. Leviticus chapter 9, and let's look at verse 6. Then Moses said, this is the thing which the Lord commanded you to do, and the glory of the Lord will, will appear to you. Go down to the 23rd verse. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Notice all the people saw the glory of the Lord. Turn with me over to Numbers. Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20, verse number six. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and they fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Then go over to 1 Kings chapter eight. 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 8, and look at verses 10 and 11. And it came to pass when the priest came out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord. This is talking about Solomon's uh, temple. The cloud uh, filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord notice that when it talks about the house of the Lord it's talking about the temple the temple was alternately called the temple of God or the temple of the Lord it was also called the house of the Lord the Lord's house But when it was dedicated, it says that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Go with me over to 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles. And let's, uh, for the time being, we'll we'll skip over the, the parallel to the passage we just read. And let's go to the seventh chapter, Second Chronicles chapter 7. When Solomon had finished, this is verse 1 and 2. When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. Praise God. Go on over to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah the 6th chapter. Praise the Lord. Isaiah chapter 6 and let's look at verse 4. And the post of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out and the house was filled with smoke. Now, this time, the glory of the Lord, instead of looking like a cloud, it looked like smoke. And then go over with me to Isaiah chapter 60. Isaiah chapter 60. Verse 1 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Notice in connection with the glory, there's shine, there's light, there's brightness. Glory to God. All of these things are associated with the glory of the Lord. Now, what does this have to do? This is all Old Testament. What does this have to do with the New Testament? Go over with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Of course, we're all familiar with the birth of the Lord Jesus and how the shepherds were out on the hillside watching their sheep on the night that he was born. In Luke chapter 2, and verse 28, it says, And he says, Hallelujah. I got the wrong verses. That's all right. We'll skip that one. I don't have time to look it up. Go to to, to Acts chapter 9. Hallelujah. Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. And let's look at verse number 3. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light. shone around him from heaven. This is talking about, about Saul who became the apostle Paul. It said a light shone around him from heaven. Well, praise God. Hallelujah. Uh, let's go back now. I found my reference. I was looking at the wrong one. Let's go back to Luke chapter 2 again. I was looking at the wrong verse. Luke chapter 2. Are you with me? Verse 9 says, Behold, an angel of the Lord's stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them, around about them and they were greatly afraid. Notice when Jesus was born out on the hillside that the glory of the Lord shone all around these shepherds. And then, and now go over to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 and here we will turn to verse 28. Luke 9 and let's look at verse 28. Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Jesus took Peter, John, and James and went up to the mountain to pray. As he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. The Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep, and when they were fully awake, they saw his glory. And the two men who stood with them, we won't read the rest of this, but I want you to notice that Peter and James and John, they saw the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. He had the glory of God upon him. Let me ask you a question. If Jesus had the glory of God upon him then, do you think he has the glory of God upon him now? Do you think he's clothed in glory? Well, would you think that the the Lord Jesus in heaven would have glory and his church down here below wouldn't have any glory? He is the head, we are the body. Amen. And as Jesus was enveloped in glory, the church is enveloped in the glory of God. Now, there must be a manifestation of these things. In these last days. Hallelujah. And so, in association with these things, like I said, we see the words glory, cloud, brightness, smoke, shine, shone, white, glistening, light, fire. And then on the day of Pentecost, we see that that a rushing mighty wind came in, and they were that was a manifestation of the glory of God. When the, when, when the Bible talks about the glory of God, that is a manifestation of the Holy Ghost. Amen. That is a manifestation of the Holy Ghost and it's a manifestation of God's power. Praise the Lord. Now, there are many times that we sense the glory of God. There are many times when his presence is, is very real among us. That's a manifestation of his glory, but we don't always see it, but it's there. I've seen the glory of God before with my own eyes. Back in 1983, I've told you about this before. In 1983, I went to a, a seminar, a Holy Spirit seminar, on the campus at Rama Bible Training Center. Actually, the seminar was underway, and I hadn't had any plans to go. And uh, a friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine was out there and the, the seminar started on Sunday night and uh, then it was Sunday night and then twice a day, Monday through Saturday, then the following or the final service was the following Sunday night. Well, this was in the middle of the week and on Wednesday uh, morning, my friend called me, this pastor friend. He said, Edwin, you have got to get out here. He said, you need to drop what you're doing and get out here. I said, why? What's going on? He said, something has happened on this campus. And, and he and I both were Ramah grads. He and I both had, had sat many hours in Brother Hagin's classes and in crusades and had been with him in various meetings in different places in the country. And we had uh, experienced uh, a lot of things in Brother Hagin's meetings. But my friend David, he said, no, you, something's different out here this week. Revival has hit this campus. You need to get out here. Said, God is doing something very unusual. Well, this was on Wednesday. So on Thursday, I got up uh, on, on, and told the church Wednesday night that I was going to go the next day. On Thursday, I flew out to Tulsa. And I made it for the Thursday night service, Friday morning, Friday night, Saturday morning, Sunday, Saturday night, and Sunday night. So I got in on six services. And, uh, and it was a tremendous uh, time of visitation. And really, the, the revival, the last Day revival, the end time revival that we've been talking about actually began then. But because people uh, uh, took it into into some extreme positions on intercession and some other things, the revival got delayed for quite a few years. But what we're talking about here was actually kicked off in a very uh, powerful way that week in Tulsa. I'm not saying that was the only place in the world it was happening, but it was happening there. But anyway, in one of the services, I don't remember which service it was, I don't think it was the first service, but it was one of the subsequent services I, I was in, uh, uh, everybody was on their feet just praising God, just, you know, shouting praises to God, and if you, if those of you have been to Rhema, you know the old uh, Rooker Memorial Auditorium, that was the main auditorium back then, and... Uh, uh, it was about twice the size, I guess, uh, of this building, maybe a little bit more, but they had 2,000 seats crammed in there. I mean, it, you, you didn't hardly have aisles to move in. It was just packed, and, uh, and, and people were just standing and praising God and worshiping the Lord, and my, my friend and I were, were sitting. We had pretty decent seats. Now, we stood in line for like an hour and a half to two hours to get those seats, but we got it, We fought our way up, you know, close to the front. We were back maybe three or four rows back, kind of down on the end, and uh, and so stand up here for a second. Let's just hug my neck. You know, a couple of brothers will do this. Well, this 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 brother, this pastor, friend of mine, was standing next to me, and everybody was praising God. And I just put my arm around him, and he put his arm around me, just hugged me. And and when that happened, I had I just had a just a small leading, just a real simple prompting just a real gentle prompting prompting and we were still hugging each other and and I had a prompting prompting to just sort of jump like this and I just kind of jumped and when I did I was suddenly in a cloud. A cloud completely enveloped me and I couldn't see now I could see I could see about a foot and a half around me. I could see this brother. I could still see him. And I could see, you know, the outline of the of the back of the chair in front of me. And, and that's all I could see. And I couldn't see anything in the auditorium. This cloud, it was the glory of God. It just enveloped me. I couldn't see. I couldn't see the platform. I couldn't see the rest of the crowd. I could, I could faintly hear the rest of the crowd because everybody was on their feet praising God, you know, and just shouting praises to the Lord. And, and I could hear that, but it sort of, it sort of uh, dimmed down. I could barely hear, hear it. And I was just in this cloud. And the Spirit of God came on me. And this pastor friend and I, we were still holding on to each other, still hugging each other. And, we, and when I jumped like that, this cloud enveloped me. And I started dancing in the Holy Ghost. Now, you have to understand, uh, I didn't intend to dance in the Spirit. It was not in, I hadn't thought about it. Nobody that I remember was dancing in the Holy Spirit in the auditorium. Now, now in those days, in charismatic and, and even in word of faith churches, when people danced, they did that little charismatic shuffle. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Does anybody not know what I'm talking about? If you don't, how many of you don't know what I'm talking about? There was this little charismatic shuffle and I'm gonna try to do it, it look silly right now. But when the music would play during songs, you know what I'm talking about over here? No, none of you know what I'm talking about? There was this little shuffle like this. This is what it looked like, remember that? And people would do that during, during songs and that was considered dancing before the Lord. And uh, now this was 1983. Brother Hagen had not taught Plans, purposes, and pursuits until 1987. You remember in 1987, the Lord Jesus appeared to Brother Hagan and for two hours, he was caught away in the spirit, and Jesus talked to him about a lot of things, but one of the things he talked about uh, was New Testament worship and corrected some things in the church. And he said this dancing that's, that uh, uh, takes place in charismatic churches is, is a fleshly dance. It's not in the Spirit. And he went on to tell Brother Hagin there is a dancing in the Spirit and uh, uh, people need to learn to yield to the Holy Ghost and dance in the Spirit but not dance in the flesh. And uh, he dealt with, it with some other things. He dealt with uh, uh, clapping. You know, we don't clap to praise God. Now, it's very popular in a lot of places. And, you know, the dancing kind of went out of, of vogue after Brother Hagan taught on this, but it's come back, that, that charismatic, fleshly dancing. And, uh, he, and, and people in, in the church back in those days, people used to give the Lord a hand clap or during praise and worship, when you wanted to praise God, just clap to the Lord. And the Lord Jesus told Brother Hagen, he said, it's, it's improper and it's out of line uh, to clap unto the Lord like that. And we went back, Brother Hagen went back through all the scriptures. There's not one verse in the Bible that has people clapping as a praise to God. Not one in the whole Bible. The only thing it tells us to do with our hands is to lift them. Now, it tells us to do that. In fact, in the Old Testament, you run your references most of the time clapping when people clap now now listen it 's one thing to clap to the music that 's not what i 'm talking about that 's no different than tapping your feet. you know music uh, uh, is it has a beat to it and uh, and if you're and if you 're not rhythmically challenged like brother dan you <laughs> You know, you just naturally will will clap to keep time. He tries to keep time, but he just can't keep up. And uh, and he's not alone either. But uh, but there's nothing wrong with clapping. But when you're clapping to keep time with the music, you're not clapping to the Lord. It's not a it's not a, 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 a you're not trying to offer that to God. You're just clapping because you you know you have you have some you have some what do you call it rhythm. You have some rhythm, you know, and so that's a different thing. But uh, clapping, to give the Lord a hand clap or to clap unto the Lord. Or, Brother Hagin pointed out, and I went through and I read all these references. You run them in the, in the Old Testament. You'll find out that clapping was when people clapped as an expression of something, it was an expression of contempt. People would clap their hands to someone. It was an act of derision. In, in contempt, you'd clap your hands at them. And so... Uh, Today when people clap, it's more of an applause. That's what we do to entertainers. If you if you like entertainers and, you know, or somebody you want to, somebody does something or you recognize somebody at a, you know, at a political meeting or something, you clap, you know, to honor them. But that's when you clap unto the Lord, you bring the Lord down to the to the, to the stature of men. It's not right to to clap and to applaud God. We should lift our hands and praise Him with our mouth. When clapping took hold in the church, when I was a youngster growing up, no one clapped to the Lord. We clapped to the music, but nobody gave a clap offering. Let's all all give the Lord a hand clap. That never happened. But as it got into the church, it came into the charismatic movement. And as it got uh, further established in the church, I noticed that it supplanted praising God. That people, began, when the people began to clap to the Lord, they no longer lifted their hands and praised Him. It's improper, but anyway, Brother Hagen talked about these things in uh, in 1987. And uh, but this was 1983; he hadn't taught on this, so nobody else that I know of—I don't remember seeing anybody in the crowd dancing in the Holy Ghost. People were doing the Charismatic Shuffle, you know, and. And so forth. But I suddenly was in the glory of the Lord and I saw it. It was a cloud. I couldn't see through it. And, and suddenly I began to dance. Like I said, I wasn't thinking about dancing. Nobody, or, no, there had been no dancing in the spirit in the charismatic movement. And it just wasn't seen. I remember it from a kid. And personally, I wasn't interested in it. I, was, I grew up and I saw people dancing in the power of the Holy Ghost. And I'm telling you, I was not interested. To me, it was embarrassing. To me, I, it, it, you know, I, I understood that, that the old timers said that it was the Holy Ghost. And so I was careful not to criticize something that was of the Holy Ghost. But personally, it was embarrassing. I thought, why in the world would anybody want to act that spastic? Jerking around and, 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 and see, there's nothing about dancing in the spirit that brings glory to you. All of the glory has to go to God. But you know, people dance today and they have interpretive dance and, and stuff. That brings glory to them. I was recently, I'm on a, I'm on a, a side journey, but I'm gonna stay on it. I, I was watching, I, somebody put up something on Facebook a few weeks back weeks back about a church, and so I clicked on it. It was the church of God. And they had their, their uh, dance team on the platform. It was a large church. And they had these four people on the, on the platform and they were doing interpretive dance. And they had their faces all painted up, you know, in theatrical look, you know, and had these uh, uh, clothes on that, you know, just they were all wearing like black clothes, and 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 they had their faces painted in a theatrical type paint, and they were doing this this uh, supposed interpretive dance to the song. And, and what people say is that this is it interprets what the spirit is saying, and interprets what the song is saying. Well, I couldn't I couldn't attach any of the words to any of their movements. How in the world did this have to do with the words of the song? And so I, But I, I hadn't heard the song. I don't think I'd ever heard it before. But as I was listening to the song, I really liked it. It was a great song. The words were powerful. It was a powerful song. So I said, well, I know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to be open-minded here. I'm going to ignore. Now, I'm on my little computer watching this on, on, you know, on the Internet. And I said, I'm going to ignore the dancing and just pay attention to the words. Because I I I like the words. I said, I'm just gonna worship the Lord with the You know, I, I noticed that I would do that for a few moments and I'd go back to looking at those people. And I said, No, I'm just just pay attention to the song, to the words. And I would do that for a few more moments and before I knew it, I was back looking at those people. They were, I mean, they were doing all these theatrics. How could you not look? And 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 I noticed that it was a large auditorium and they had like it looked like a balcony behind them. And maybe it was an orchestra or a choir loft or something, but there were people had walked up and they were standing around the banister, behind the platform where these four uh, dancers were were dancing, and and they were all leaning over the over the railing. They were all just looking, punching each other, pointing, talking to one another. They were they were completely engrossed in the people. See, it didn't bring it didn't direct your attention to God. It directed your attention to the all of the motions they were making. And they were kind of strange things, you know. And uh, all of that's in the flesh. I said all of that's in the flesh. Listen, anything in worship, anything you put on to engage the flesh will only produce flesh. Anything in worship that you put on to engage the flesh will only produce flesh. Amen. People do all sorts of things today to set the, 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 uh, uh, to set the mood in a worship service. They have flashing lights, you know, spotlights going all around the auditorium and all over, you know. They've got smoke machines where, you know, you have this smoke, you know, this kind of a haze, you know. All of those things are designed to engage the flesh. Draw people in and create an atmosphere. Anything you do to create an atmosphere, anything you do in the flesh will only produce flesh. It will not produce the work of the Spirit. Amen. It won't. Amen. And so people do a lot of these things. And people say, well, you know, this is a sight and sound generation. And people like it. People like these things. They like the lights. They like the the smoke. Well, people people like a lot of things. People like uh, sex outside of marriage. We're not going to have a service for it. People like a lot of things. (laughs) We're not going to to, uh, make make room for those things in our services in order to draw people. Amen. Anything in the flesh that you do in the flesh will only produce flesh. Amen. But things that are done in the power of the Spirit by the anointing. Like I said that night... I, I, hadn't, I didn't intend to dance. I hadn't thought about that kind of dancing since for years because we hadn't seen it in charismatic circles and I was glad. And I hadn't seen it in years, wasn't thinking about it, nobody did it. And all of a sudden, I'm in this cloud. I'm in the glory of God. I couldn't, I couldn't see people around me. I, could, I was conscious that I was still holding on to this brother. And we both started dancing. He told me later, he didn't, he didn't plan to do that either. We just sudden, suddenly started dancing. The power of God came on us. And we danced that way for a while. I don't know how long. And then the cloud just lifted up. Just lifted up from us. And all of a sudden we could see again. And, you know, we were in, you know, like, a, the seats were closer than these. And they were ganged together like these are at the bottom. They weren't as nice as these seats and, or as heavy. And the chairs were, the seats that we were in and the ones in front of us, they were all kicked around and knocked loose, you know. And, 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 and when it, we came out of that cloud... We, we looked around, and people all around us were going. They kind of stepped back like, what was that? And so we just, you know, lifted our hands and began to praise God. It kind of straightened the seats up, you know, went back to praising God. But what I'm saying is the glory of the Lord, it can be in manifestation, it can be seen. Well, praise God. Uh Go with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 5. 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 5. Let's look at this. We skipped it a few minutes ago. Hallelujah. 2 Chronicles 5 verse 11 says, And it came to pass when the priest, this is the dedication of Solomon's temple, and it came to pass when the priest came out of the most holy place for all the priests who were present had sanctified themselves without keeping to their divisions and the Levites who were of the singers all those of Asaph, Heman and Jeduthun, with their sons and their brethren stood at the east end of the altar clothed in white linen having cymbals, stringed instruments, harps with them 120 priests sounding with trumpets. Indeed it came to pass When the trumpeters and singers were as one, to make one sound to be heard and praising and thanking the Lord, and when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever, that the house, the house of the Lord was filled with the cloud, so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud. Cloud. The margin, the, the, literally the, it says here that they could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Well, we know today that, in, in fact, Stephen was preaching In the seventh chapter of Acts, the sermon I was telling you about, and in that chapter, he talked about the temple of God, and then he said, but God does no longer dwell in temples made with hands. Now, he did it one time. In the Old Testament, that glory, it was called the Shekinah glory, it would dwell in that temple in the most holy place, and that's where it was. But when Jesus was on the cross, the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. The, the, the curtain of the temple that separated the, the most holy place from the holy place and it was torn from the top to the bottom and the glory of God moved out of the temple and, and the spirit of God and the glory of God no longer dwells in temples made with hands well where does it, where does it dwell then? it dwells in the church we are the temple of God isn't that what the Apostle Paul said? Now, do you not know your bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost? Well, we have the Holy Ghost in us and his glory is to fill us and be seen upon us individually, but it's also in the church collectively. Over in First Corinthians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians 3, oh, glory to God. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16 says, do you not know, talking to the church, that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? The Amplified Bible says, "Do do you not discern and understand that you, the whole church at Corinth, are God's temple, his sanctuary, and that God's spirit has his permanent dwelling in you to be at home in you collectively as a church and also individually. See, when when you're talking about the the spirit of God and his glory is to fill our lives on a daily basis. The spirit of God and the glory of God fills the entire church, the entire body of Christ. But then here he was writing to to the church at Corinth. And he said, you as a church, a local church, you are the temple of God. See, God indwells this church body. We're a distinct body. You know, the Lord, the Lord recognizes Impact Family Church. If you go through the New Testament, you'll find out that the Lord identified local churches, called them by names. So the church at Ephesus, the church at Samaria, Sam, Samerna, the, the church at Thyatira, and so forth, those seven churches. And also Paul, writing to, to, uh, uh, to the churches there, he, he said, the churches of Asia bring you greetings. The individual churches. So God recognizes individual churches. He, 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 knows, he knows Impact Family Church as distinct from, from some other church. We are a distinct body We are a distinct temple of God collectively and the Holy Spirit indwells us. Well, what happened when people began to get in one accord in that temple in the Old Testament? What happened when they came into one accord in praising and worshiping God? What happened? The glory of the Lord filled the house of God and they couldn't stand up. They fell out because of the glory of God. What happened on the day of Pentecost when the church came together in one accord, in prayer and praise and worship, in one accord? It, sound, it said suddenly there appeared unto them divided tongues as a fire. They saw it. And a wind swept through and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, glory to God. Listen, it's God's plan for the church and even the local church, it's God's plan for us to be filled with his glory hallelujah if you're on your iPad right now looking at Facebook or something shut that down would you amen doing other things if you're looking at scripture that's fine people do crazy things in church this past week I was flying home I texted Angela from the airport I knew she was in church And I texted her. I said, you shouldn't be texting in church. I was going to see if she got, well, she didn't get it. She didn't have her her phone on her her iPad, so she passed the test. Now, when you come to church, you ought to leave natural things aside. Amen. Don't be distracted by other things. Amen. Glory to God. The, The local church, we should be filled with the glory of God. It's his will that we're filled with his glory. He wants to manifest himself. Oh, hallelujah. You know, last week I introduced the service by by saying this. I said, I wonder what would happen if all of us came in in a service and everybody from the front row to the very back row, from that side to that side, no one left out. If everybody purposed in their heart, I'm gonna put everything else aside and I'm gonna worship the Lord praise and worship God I, because I know, what, I know what it's like I'm just as human as anybody else you come to church sometimes there are things on your mind things of the week things that you know that are just troubling your mind or just distracting thoughts the enemy will try to do anything he you know he can to distract you during church and you have to I have to purpose sometimes I have to sometimes say stop what you're thinking about get your mind back in, in, in what's going on in this service and I know if I have to you have to too but, but what would happen if we had a service and everybody from wall to wall put everything else aside and said, I'm going to worship God? I wonder what would happen. Well, I know what would happen. That was a rhetorical question. I know what would happen. It said when it happened, the place where they were assembled together was shaken glory to God. They were filled with the Holy Ghost. The glory of God filled the temple. That's what would happen. Oh, Hallelujah. I want the singers to come back up in the band for a minute. I want us to just worship the Lord for a few minutes. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching.